Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby Podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On the 31st of May 2009, an Air France flight took off from Brazil, heading for France with 228 people on board. Flight 447 from Rio de Janeiro was scheduled to land here at Paris Charles de Gaulle Airport at 10 after 11 this morning. Family and friends had come here to the terminal to meet their loved ones, but gradually concern crept in. The flight was listed as delayed. At 10.52 Paris time, 18 minutes before flight 447 was due to land, Air France lists it as missing. The plane never landed and one of history's most ambitious searches began in the deepest part of the Atlantic Ocean. Three Irish doctors, Ashling Butler, Jane DC, and Ethna Walls were among those who perished. I'm Denise Callanan, and you're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. Today, I'll be talking to Irish independent news correspondent Van Murray about the tragedy and how now, 12 years later, a court decision in France means Air France and Airbus are finally to be prosecuted for involuntary manslaughter. There was a technical failure, but it should have been a non-event. The pilots failed to take any preventative steps that ultimately led to a catastrophe of epic proportions. Ivan, can you tell us a little bit about these three young Irish women? They were three great friends. They had studied medicine together in Trinity. Dr. Ashton Butler, she was 26. She was from Muscray in County Tipperary and she had just finished her internship in Tala and was due to start um, take up a new post in St. James's. Dr. Jane GC, she was from Rathgar. She was an intern at Tala. She was one of the 51 passengers whose remains were actually recovered. Her remains were actually found the day that um, she was due to start a new job at the Royal Victoria Eye and Ear Hospital here in Dublin. Dr. Ethna Walls, she was from Ballygown in County Down. She was um, 28 years old. She was actually um, a member of Riverdance. Um, she was a fabulously talented. She'd be one of the one of the best Irish dancers of her generation. She had danced in Broadway. Um, she was a senior house officer in ophthalmology, also at the Eye and Ear Hospital. Ethna Walls, she was an amazing girl, really. I mean, when you think of all she achieved, she um, 
one thing I suppose a lot of Irish people might remember was uh, the amazing performance of River Dance at the opening of the Special Olympics in Crow Park. And she actually danced at that. Wow. So they were three good friends like, you know, they'd been in a hard working atmosphere and a hard working course in college. And they obviously had a special bond, the three of them. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, as much as you can tell from pictures, I mean, they travel together and, you know, there was something about the way they, you know, there's a lovely picture of um, Jane DC and Ashley Butler with their arms around each other, you know, and it's kind of you could identify with it because it's you know how you are with your friends and you're out and you're enjoying yourself. I always, always remember this case, like this story, very covering it because the girls were exact same age as me. My very close friends were actually traveling in South America at the time. And you just think, you know, it's desperate that their lives were taken from them the way they were. Yeah, it was definitely a story that resonated with you, Ivan. It definitely was. They were just young girls out enjoying themselves. You know, they were at the start of their lives, really. I mean, they had achieved a lot already, but they were just at the beginning of their careers. And, um, you know, I suppose at any at that time in your life, it's when, you know, it's the next part of your life. It's when your career is kind of opening up and you're going places as such and these three girls definitely were. Yeah, they were at a time I think of so much hope in their lives and it was just especially harsh for their families to come to terms with with the loss. It's just absolutely horrific. I mean, I can't even imagine, first of all, losing someone at that age at all, but losing them in the circumstances they did. It's just actually unbearable to even think about. Um, The shock alone, I just don't think it's something you could ever get over. Um, I spoke with Ashley Butler's dad John several times recently um, he speaks about her so beautifully you know um, but the loss is is just incredible to the whole Butler family as it is to both the Walls and the DC families too. We were so lucky to have Ashling for the 26 years she was just barely 26 when she was taken from us there's not a day goes by but we think of her and you know it is every minute of every day and you know, any parent that loses uh, a child will know what I'm saying. The pain is always there. It's like any pain, you just grow used to it. That was John Butler, Ashling's father, previously speaking to RTE News. It was the evening of the 31st of May 2009 and the three girls were due to travel back to Ireland. They had just finished their holiday. Their flight took off as normal at um, half ten from Rio de Janeiro. They were actually half an hour late taking off, but everything was fine. Um, it wasn't until four hours into the flight that disaster struck. So the plane, Ivan, disappeared from radar. And you have a bit of detail on that, actually. Well, they had just left um, Brazilian airspace and the last contact that they had with air traffic controllers was at 2.14. And they were due to, um, they were flying up the west coast of Africa. They were due to make contact with the Senegalese air traffic controllers at 20 past two and they never did. So it was in in that six minute window. So there was obviously panic stations at, you know, flight authorities at both ends of the journey. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about that and how the search began? It was noticed by the Senegalese um, air traffic controller that they hadn't made contact. He attempted to contact them. Um, he failed to do so. He contacted Paris and they knew within a short time it had disappeared from radar. So it was just their very, very worst fears, I'd imagine, for any kind of an airline. So a massive search began in the area and they did find wreckage within a few days. Yeah, within three or four days, um, the Brazilian and French Navy and Air Force actually were involved in a huge search. There's that iconic picture of the 
Air France wing being pulled from the ocean. They also, over the next few weeks, managed to recover 51 bodies, thankfully for those families. But unfortunately, the rest were never returned. And it was in two years, it was two years later then in April 2011, when they finally found that black box of van after a massive international effort. Um, what emerged at that time? There was a few facts already known about what had happened. They were aware that um, air sensors on the aircraft had failed, but that didn't explain why the aircraft went down. Certainly the black box was illuminating um, and also deeply, deeply shocking for like a number of reasons. I mean, the pilots, obviously there was technical issues and um, and hardware issues, obviously, but the main problem was pilot error, huge um hugely contributed. Well, it's really the principal cause. So, so what happened in the cockpit? The captain, actually, he wasn't flying. Um, he was the first. He was kind of acting as um, pilot not flying is what it's termed as. He was sitting in the left hand side, whereas the most junior pilot with the least flying hours was actually flying the plane. It is something that happens, you know, but the things that came up from the black box was actually this guy was quite nervous and it also emerged, which is very distressing for the families. And, you know, it's something I know that John Butler can't reconcile was that the captain had only slept for one hour the night before he complained of feeling exhausted. And you have to remember the flight took off at half ten at night. So how long had he been actually awake for? So it's it's crazy. So we're left with a situation of Anne where, you know, the captain is taking a scheduled break and the most junior of the team is managing and is flying the plane as they approach a certain area of turbulence. Yeah, it's a well-known area. It's the interconvergence tropical zone. Now, storms are not unusual, like it's a normal weather system actually for that area. It's worth noting as well that three airlines, three aircraft in the area that night had taken um, alternative routes around that weather system, but they didn't. Now, they had got through, there was two areas of storms. Captain stayed in situ for the first area and they got through that fine, relatively well. And then he took his break. He was he called the uh, first officer to come back and he went and must have fallen very, very deeply asleep because it took them from when the emergency started. It took him one minute and 38 seconds, even though he was only a number of feet away to actually get back into the cockpit. And at this point, the first officer had been swearing and shouting, where is he, where is he? And why isn't he here? And just, it's a nightmare scenario. By the time he got in, it was almost too late. The plane had completely stalled and was dropping through the air like a paperweight. When you ask what went wrong, the pilot's actions were just so incredible. Like when you when you listen back to um, kind of reports where other pilots have analysed what happened. First, like the most junior pilot who his actions were just inexplicable because the air sensors failed in the aircraft. It was a known problem. These particular pitot tubes are called. It means that uh, the readings for airspeed and throw it actually through the automatic pilot out. So all you had to do in those circumstances is actually keep the plane level and keep on flying. You don't have to take any kind of drastic action. You just stay going the way you're going. But for some reason, he pulled back his lever, which is to his right hand side, which brought up the nose of the plane. So it meant he was climbing, climbing, climbing. But when you're climbing like that, you're losing speed. And it becomes because they were at such a high altitude and the air is thinner, it actually means that the pain is getting slower and 
losing losing speed, getting slower, and they reach the absolute height the plane could possibly go. And there was only one way for it to go at that point while the nose was high and that was down. And it began to plummet towards the sea. There was an absence of diagnostic by the crew of this situation of, of stall, and as a result, absence of actions to recover the situation. A 2012 investigation by the French Aviation Authority found that it was a combination of technical failure and human error that led to the loss of the Air France flight. Only an extremely determined crew, having clearly understood the situation, could have attempted to bring the aircraft back to its flight envelope. Here the crew was in a condition of almost complete loss of control of the situation. That was Alain Bouillard, investigator-in-chief of the BEA, France's air accident investigator. So the black box answered a lot of questions, Ivan, but nobody stood up to take responsibility for the crash. No, um, to this day, Air France um, are sticking by their pilots. They say that they're not criminally negligent for what happened. Um, obviously, there was systems failures on the aircraft, but it was hugely down to human error. Airbus um, say it wasn't a fault with the sensors that caused the crash. And, you know, they have an argument there, certainly, um, because it had enormous circumstances like this had happened before and everything went fine. You know, this was just it was pilot error on the day. This is John Butler, the father of Ashling again, speaking to RTE News at One about the decision in 2019 by French judges to drop charges against the airline and Airbus. We're very, very disappointed. Surprised? Not really. But very, very disappointed. It is 10 years hence. We never got the, the body of Ashling back. And, you know, it's one of those things that we're living with every day. Um, Air France is the national airline of France. And they... Uh, you know, everyone was a, a paying passenger. Airbus are the manufacturer and the supplier of the aircraft involved. So they are responsible. Now that decision has been overturned and after 12 years, Air France and Airbus are finally to be prosecuted for involuntary manslaughter. Tell us more, Ivan. Yeah, finally. I mean, it's taken 12 years and obviously there's been a very, very rocky road for um, the families who've campaigned for this. Um, I spoke to John Butler shortly after he actually received the news that they were that the decision not to prosecute had been overturned. Um, he was obviously relieved, but um, it was bittersweet for him, really. Um, the day we spoke was last Wednesday that uh, it was actually Ashley's birthday. So, um, you know, he was glad. He certainly is very glad that they are going to be like held to account to some degree. They're at least going to go on trial. Um, but it was bittersweet for sure. And and they have now they have made it clear that they both Air France and Airbus are going to appeal this decision as well. Yeah, they did it almost immediately, which I thought was a bit insensitive. You know, they released statements saying they don't they still to this day don't believe that their pilots were criminally negligent. And um, Airbus say that uh, they're not responsible because it actually, you know, it, it was pilot error. Um, but we shall see how it will play out. It's going to be a long time. They both intend to appeal. They're going to appeal to a higher court in France. Um, but it is, I mean, it's obviously a positive step for the families, certainly. But um, 
I don't know. I, you know, we're sitting here now 12 years later. The girls are gone. And it's one of those situations where the loss is so great. You can't really ever find justice. That was Evan Murray, Irish Independent News Correspondent. You were listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie, produced by Mary Carroll and sound designed by Dara Kelly. You can follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. And for more on this and other stories, visit independent.ie.